Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Mikkel Clark, and Mikkel is a writer, content creator, and the co-founder of the Creative Summer Agency. He writes affirmations and tweets, and he's the author of Keep It 100, which is a daily affirmation book for millennials who are tired of being called millennials. I first got in contact with Mikkel because of his username on Twitter, which reads love yourself. And if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that that is something that I talk about. So in this conversation, we talked about loving yourself. We talked about Mikkel's tweets, him going to therapy, the book, his connection to Big Sean. This conversation felt like two people who are both on the path to improvement, connecting, and I really enjoyed this one. If you have any thoughts or feedback about this episode, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda. And without further ado, this is my conversation with Mikkel Clark. Interesting people, thought provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Mikkel, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. Yeah, so I figure we start the conversation with ASAP Ferg and forthcoming. Could you tell that story? Sure, sure. So this is back in 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Um, I'm running a, a, a rap blog. I'm curating playlists. I'm like documenting artists. That's my biggest. And it was really my first creative thing, right? Um, so I got on social media initially to really figure out the best way to get people attracted to this podcast. So I was... Um, one of the writers on my team ended up writing about ASAP Ferg. It was an album that was on the way. Um, and we happened to use the word forthcoming um, in the tweet. So it was something to the effect of uh, details about ASAP Ferg's forthcoming album, right? Um, I get a tweet from ASAP Ferg, who was like a mainstream rapper, you know, very big audience. Like I knew of him like ASAP Rocky for years and I'm a fan right so if somebody's you know a celebrity is tweeting me at that moment especially I'm like wow what is going on um mind you I didn't even write that particular post but it was my brand so I respond for us you know he he responds to the tweet and says just second um <laughs> so I'm kind of like jumping in our group chat like what what does this mean is something wrong um and somebody's like, well, I think he probably thinks that forthcoming means fourth album. I'm like, nah, that would be crazy. Um, and then he replies, you know, I reply back and I say, um, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Can you elaborate? Because I can't, you know, I can't come at anybody crazy. Like he's from Harlem, Harlem too. Like I am from suburban Virginia. I want no problems, no smoke with anybody. Right. So I'm just trying to be polite, you know, like be on my P's and Q's. And he's like, you said it was the fourth album. It's the second. Um, from there, there was nothing that I could do. Um, people saw it and it, it just blew up like 
way beyond anything I ever thought it would be to the point that, you know, like it's been, it's been closer to 10 years than five years now. And people are still like, Oh wow, you're the forthcoming dude. You know what I mean? Um, But, you know, I, I replied back and I said, you know, Oh, that's not, that's not what the word forthcoming means. Trying to be like to the point, but not like rude or anything. He, ended up replying back like an hour or so later after things kind of already went viral and just saying, Oh, you're right, bro. That's my fault. Um, thanks for, for letting me know. Um, so we still follow each other. Uh, and what's funny is, you know, I've been adjacent to the music industry for a while. So I, now I know people who have done marketing for Ferg and they've told me just like how those conversations went, um, you know, after, that all went down. But yeah, that was um probably my, my biggest like mainstream like Twitter moment, right? It's so tough when you're forced to give correct someone mm-hmm. in that moment without coming across as an asshole, right? Is that and so how do you do that? Yeah, for me, I think it's about one, like being clear on what the goal is. Like I try to like if I feel defensive, I take a little second. And before I start to type and everything else, um, and sometimes with like these high profile engagements, when you're not even sure what's going on, um, I'll even ask somebody else, like, am I tripping? Did I miss what this could have been? Um, and then from there, just focusing on the facts, right? Um, no, that's not what the word means. Um, I, I, we were referencing this being an album that's on the way. Um, and you kind of finish it with you know, uh, some, some well wishes. You can always wish somebody well, right? So I said, you know, but thanks for checking us. Thanks for checking us out, um, which, you know, was was real. Like we weren't the biggest platform in the world. We weren't getting, you know, the biggest interviews or anything like that. So, you know, finishing, up, finishing it off with like sincere appreciation, like after saying the facts that had to be said. Yeah. How does that feel also when someone of that level recognizes you in that small moment for the first time or one of the first times crazy um as soon as the first tweet went off like i was just finishing up college like i'm 23 i'm getting like a bunch of texts and everything um so i was just really like i am at that point i had a team of like 20 people so i'm trying to like make sure that our brand looks like good in the light Um, i'm trying to you know be diplomatic given that it's almost political, you have to make sure you're not like, like, I, I don't want to, you know, mess with somebody, be rude to somebody who like knows everybody. Right. Um, so it's a bit intimidating. Um, and I'm also just, I, I try to keep a level head because people, people will look at anything like, Oh, like ASAP fur uh, ran into you on the street and bumped into you. Wow. Your shoulders going platinum. Like just like the wildest things people will make so much bigger than they have to be. So Mm. I was just trying to stay level-headed too and not make it anything more than what it had to be. Yeah. So on that topic, hypothetical situation, someone gives you Big Sean's phone number. What do you say to him? How much research have you done? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I try to uh, go deep on uh, on my guests. (laughs) That's crazy. I forgot that I even put that out there. So many years ago, I don't even remember who it was. Somebody was like, yo, um, this is Big Sean's cell phone number. And Big Sean wasn't even, I think he was in like his finally famous era. So he hadn't put out um, 
really anything like major, but he was still big to me. Like I was like, wow, that's Big Sean. Um, somebody was like, yo, this is Big Sean's number. I'm like, you playing, you lying, I'm a call. It's not gonna be him. And I'm gonna call you back and cuss you out cause you lying. But it was actually him and he was like, hello. And I knew it was him by his voice. And I got shook and I hung up and never called back. <laughs> like, what, would you say, what would you say today though? Today, um, yeah. I would really tell him, I think, um, how much I appreciate him being transparent about like certain parts of his relationships and things he's scared of. Um, like he actually put a lot of like affirmations into his newest album. So I'll tell him about that. Um, and how much I love that he created like a lot of unity, like Detroit unity. Um, he highlighted like multiple generations of Detroit rappers from like Eminem through like cash doll on this cypher on the new project. So I'll probably tell him about that too. I feel like there's a connection between you guys, you and big Sean in the, the way that you approach putting your truth out into the world, bringing mm-hmm. people up, the law of attraction, all the, am, am I, am I seeing things correctly? No, no, you're not, you're not reaching at all. I, I agree. And um, it's one of the things where I start to notice it and I'm like, okay, I start to tune in a little bit more because I haven't, I haven't been super into Big Sean every part of his career, not taken away from him, but there's just so many different artists out. But this most recent project, I'm just like, okay, this like, this hits for me in a different way. So I was playing, um, it's a song called Harder Than My Demons, um, and it's, it's literally just saying, I got to thank God because he's got me like working harder than my demons, you know, like, yeah, all these things are happening around me, but like, I'm still going to push past all those different things. And that was, that felt like a defining quote for my 2020, you know? Um, and I also just love, I, I love seeing creatives in different mediums who I feel a connection towards where it's almost like, okay. I've thought about what it looks like for me to engage in some type of spoken word as part of my creativity, right? I'm probably not going to rap, at least not now, not in public, maybe in the shower. Um, but I, I've always appreciated hearing people who like incorporate similar themes in different mediums because I learned so much about how I could communicate differently or just how different types of people, different types of creatives, people from different places um, apply like similar ideas and similar principles. So yeah. yeah, I like how you said in Keep It 100, your book here, I love how you said at the end, you know, I've been through some real shit in my life and all those things have created this book that you're reading. Mm-hmm. And that is what you're talking about with Big Sean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you so, look at just uh, just the the things he experienced. He talks about um, his his childhood. He talks about his relationships and just all the different things he struggled with. Going from somebody who was trying to make it to somebody who made it and has to deal with people who you know want different things from him. So, no, absolutely. Yeah, and on the the topic of Big Sean, you you had this great post where you. You put up a Big Sean quote where if it costs you peace of mind, it might be too expensive. How has, how have you noticed that in your own life? So a lot of different ways. Um, I think one of the most important things it's shown me in the past couple of years is um, that like 
a lot of, whether it's a client, whether it's an opportunity or a job, um, there are a lot of really well-packaged distractions that like pay well, um, that are great resume boosters, that are great to like tell your friends about. Um, but like a lot of those opportunities also come with, you know, people who are like just not easy to work with and not in like a personality way, but like a, we can't get this done way or like a way where it starts to distract from everything else that I'm doing, you know? So I've, I've had to leave a couple of the different opportunities that on paper just seemed like life-changing and in certain ways they were, but I realized that it was more important to be able to like be at peace enough to keep focusing on my creative and business and life priorities Right. Um, and that if anything was like so invasive and so stressful constantly, um, then it just it, it wasn't worth the time that I was putting in and the energy that I was putting in. How do you identify those moments and say to yourself, because you have this great opportunity that mm-hmm. looks amazing on paper and that you tell your friends and family about it and they're so amazed and happy about it. But then, mm-hmm. you know, in your heart that it's not for you. How do you come to that conclusion of like actually doing it? Um, how do I come to a conclusion of knowing when it's not for me or choosing to do it? How do you come to the conclusion that that opportunity is not something you want to do? Yeah, I think um, so. I'll have the gut feeling first, which is probably what I should listen to because you know, when an opportunity like seems that incredible and your gut's still telling you something's off, that's probably a good sign. Um, I'll also say it's, it's a matter of, for me, I have to be patient as well. And I have to kind of figure out, okay, not only does my gut tell me this, but now I can sit down and I can look at what has and has not happened in the past couple of weeks, couple of months, you know, since I took on this new opportunity and these new responsibilities, right? So that's part of it. Um, at this point, I'll talk to my therapist about it um, and she'll, she'll ground me and she will ask questions that I wouldn't think to ask myself, like, cause I'm going through it. I'm like in it and she's talking about it with me. Um, so I'll get, I'll get her perspective um, and I'll just, I think it's really helped to like to journal and just kind of talk through how my days are going and to um, to take more time to think about like what is most important, like what I want to be true. Um, do I want to, you know, prioritize this um, this opportunity, for example, over the, the welfare and well-being of um, my my marriage and now my family. Right. I got a, I got a daughter on the way. Wow. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, remaining grounded in what I want to be true about my life. And it's like, okay, if I have to pick between this opportunity and the long-term welfare of a very important part of my life, I got to pick my life. It's not like, it's not just me. It's not just like I'm in college still. It's like, okay, you know, I cannot eat for, you know, a a meal because I have to make this one thing happen. We're talking about long-term things. So Hmm. one of the things you mentioned is therapy and going to a therapist, Mm -hmm. how did you come to the conclusion that you were going to go to a therapist? I knew that I needed to go to a therapist um, really after I settled into 
entrepreneurism enough, um, like 27, 2017, 2018, to understand how frantic my life had been um, at that point for like five years. I, um, <laughs> I got expelled from college in 2012, finished in 2013, and um, left my job in 2016 and 2017, 2018. I finally got to a space where I was doing more than treading water. Um, Like I wouldn't say I was fully thriving, but I was able to focus again back on what should be true in my life. And my wife would also, my my girlfriend at the time would also just help me to understand. Um, She was in therapy every week. um, And she would also like point things out to me that were patterns that I wasn't seeing for myself. Um, And so I knew I had to go. um, And really I I finally, um, I got healthcare again. And my wife actually pushed me. One of the first things I worked through in therapy was my my fear around like spending money to invest in myself. Um, So she helped me to get over the hump with that. And I've gotten better with that. But that kind of sequence of events and just realizing how me being scared to invest in myself was hurting me in so many ways and costing me so much more than whatever I could be spending on myself. How have you started investing in yourself? I mean, man, I'm in, me and my wife right now, we just um, were renting a house for the first time. Um, so that's beautiful. Um, we paid for movers. I'm, I'm sitting here in this um, ergonomically designed desk chair um, with a, a desk that like moves up and down with some Dre headphones next to me. Um, and really just um, like we are prioritizing our comfort now um, so that like we can do our best work and be our happiest, you know what I mean? Um, And I think it just like the understanding that whatever I put into myself and put into my family is going to come back tenfold. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that and um, understanding that like my, my happiness like can be present now. I don't have to like make it in a certain way. So anything um, that kind of builds off that, you know, just from like maybe giving myself a little more slack to order off Uber Eats, um, you know, bringing in people to help me with parts of my business that I'm just not the best at, um, leaning on those people to help me in those different areas. I would say are things that come to mind as well. Um, And then, you know, if the pandemic, uh, like now I'm like, I'm going to physical therapy uh, twice a week because I've had like this recurring neck and back pain. Um, so again, like I can't, I can't be at my best, um, you know, doing this like very detail oriented client work if I'm walking around like this and like serious pain, um, all the time. So bunch of different things, man. I love it. And going back to the therapy piece, you have been very open about the fact that you're going to therapy and that's, it's awesome to see Mm-hmm. How did that play? Was there any hesitancy for you to say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and, and tell people about my journey of what I'm, I'm doing? I think I had less hesitance about that because I've already kind of thrown myself out there a few years ago, um, talking about my struggle with uh, leaving my day job for the first time. Um, and when it came time to therapy, I knew that I knew that I was leaving a part of my life where I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. I knew I was in a, a, a bit of a dark space and like, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting the help that I need. This is nothing 
you know, to, to be ashamed of or to, to, to stigmatize. I'm, I'm happy about it. I have friends who I think could also really use therapy. And I already kind of believe before I even got it for myself, um, and I say this pretty often, that if everybody had therapy, we'd be in a better place. So I'm like, you know, I, I get on Twitter and I'll, I'll use self-deprecating humor and I'll joke around too. And I, I've always felt comfortable, you know, having that degree of openness. So it's like, let's take it a step further. Um, this is my experience. I'm happy. Um, so no, I didn't have a problem with putting that out there at that point. And have you gotten any pushback? Honestly, no. Um, and I'm sure there's people who like don't say anything, right? Like there's always people who are, you know, talking about it and talking to you about it. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that's like, wow, he got therapy. That's, you know, that's crazy or whatever else. But I also talk about mental health and just like bettering yourself pretty often. So I feel like if you were to like eyeball, you'd be like, Mikhail probably is not going to be somebody to be against therapy, you know? Yeah, 100%. It falls in line. And I don't know if this relates to therapy, but one of the things that you do is you gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. So when did you start that practice? And what are you grateful for today? Uh, when my therapist told me to um, to start it. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, she's been holding me accountable in so many ways. I think it was about six months ago now. Um, today, I'm really thankful. We um, So we moved into this house like a month ago now, and we finally got our TV mounted today. So I can stop watching movies with my wife on the laptop, um, which I love to have, but you know, that's, that's nice. Um, I mean, I'm thankful honestly to be on a really well-researched and like fun podcast where it's not like, it's not forced and you're not like, so what do you do? So I've, I've been on podcasts. <laughs> People will literally like take the time to like book somebody and like not do any research. And you're like, oh, remember this thing you mentioned online like 10 years back? Let's talk about that. So that's fire. I'm thankful for this conversation. Um, and I'm thankful just to, to be in a space where I feel generally happy. I can walk outside now. I used to be in an apartment where if I was leaving my apartment, I had to put a mask on. And I can like walk outside in my own backyard. And I got to move along. It's looking crazy. But just to have that space. In this imperfect state right now is just beautiful. I love it, man. Just, you know, when I read your stuff and read your tweets and read your book, I just get a sense of peace that comes across. It doesn't seem like you're trying to be peaceful, but it just is. That's how I, I take it. Have you gotten that type of feedback before? I've gotten that feedback before and it's it's interesting because I'm not always a peaceful person. <laughs> I have, you know, I have a temper. I have like a lot of unpeaceful things I have to navigate in life. Um, so people say that, but I think to me, it's about being thoughtful about the energy that I put out into the world, right? Like, I do believe that like, as pessimistic as I can be sometimes and as frustrated and impatient as I can be, um, I think it's more important to like try to feed more of what I want to see into the world, you know, mm -hmm. so like not to just like, I don't get anything from like continuing to lean into the darker sides of what I'm thinking about, you know, like I try to give myself space and I'll talk through with somebody or, 
journal about it or write about it, but I'd rather like use my thoughts to like move me back towards a better space, you know? Do you view it as a battle or as a movement from darkness to light? Is that how you think about it? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I, I almost think of like the word acceptance comes to mind before I think of like darkness to light. Mm -hmm. um, I think I do want to, to seek and make space for and emit light. But I think to me, the more important, like fundamental thing is to accept like every part of me, mm -hmm. um, to know it's there for a reason. And then to like, just like to talk to each part of myself, like with a, a, a feeling of empathy, like, you know, I know you're in a dark space. I know you're angry. I know you're upset, but like, we can accept that. That's cool. You have a right to feel that way. And now like, here's what's going to make things better for like the whole Macau, you know? Mm. How do you come up with love yourself as your Twitter name? Um, man, it happens. I was kind of transitioning from talking primarily about um, like business and like specifically like social media uh, strategy. And I was moving more into like this kind of affirmation focus that I have now. And it really didn't happen on purpose. Like it, it just happened because like I was anxious and I had a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, I was trying to like recenter myself. So I just, I, I write a lot and I, I wrote this tweet. Uh, it was like, love yourself, appreciate yourself. It was actually like, love yourself, like with the Y-O, because I was like, again, younger and just kind of like finding my voice. It was like, love yourself, appreciate yourself, congratulate yourself, embrace yourself, repeat. And um, like that tweet, people just like kept finding it and retweeting it. Um, it like made it onto a few celebrity pages. They didn't tag me, of course, um, but it just, it kind of became a thing. And I found that the responses and the quote tweets to that were like so positive, like, like I'm tweeting this out one week and then I'm getting like this positive feedback from like kind strangers who are attracted to what I'm talking about like weeks later. So it's like, it's, it's lifting me back up when I'm back in a dark space. Um, so that all, that all stemmed from like a, a somewhat random, but sincere thought. And I was like, you know, just like, I like this Let's um, let's build off of this. And it just felt, it felt aligned. You mentioned that you went from the talking about business and social media to mm -hmm. talking more about affirmations mm -hmm. and mental headspace. And was that a difficult transition for you? Mm, talking about it wasn't difficult. No, it wasn't a hard transition. It happened before I even realized that it was happening. Yeah. Um, like, I think somebody asked me if I was like a psychologist one day, or if I was like a, a mental health writer or something like that. And I'm like, no, I actually, hmm. And I started to think about what I'd been like finding myself drawn towards and you know, I found myself drawn towards following people who were talking about more positive things. Um, I made a, a lot of like real life friends now, um, you know, through what I was writing about. So no, it wasn't a hard transition. The hard part was figuring out like, you know, when you take off the, the passion 
kind of lens and put your business strategist hat back on. Like, okay, like maybe you don't want to focus primarily on social media strategy. So what does it look like for you to kind of gradually build out um, some kind of way to like thrive um, as someone who writes about uh, affirmations and like positivity? And, you know, I won't pretend to have that part even like all the way figured out now. It's kind of still in the works, Um, but I'd rather take my time with it than try to force something and, you know, end up becoming... I guess somebody who feels more like a walking billboard than somebody who's like authentically kind of like making their way. How have you managed that? Like you mentioned you have darker sides to you where you mentioned anger and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you tweet about self-love and Mm self-acceptance. How have you managed that balance while staying authentic? Yeah. So I mean, I, one, I think that a lot of like my humorous tweets, like I have like this, it's not dark humor, but it's like, we'll call it like sassy humor. Um, I get a lot of like my my frustrations out through like making fun of myself in the world. Um, that's just my personality. Um, I also love to throw around weights and just like exhaust myself like in the gym in different ways. I burn off, you know, so much of like the darker or more frustrating parts um, of like my my psyche um, through physical activity in general and just having, um, I mean, now having like a therapist to talk to every week or two, um, being able to express those things and be heard is important. Um, And I would say the gratitude journal also helps me when you've had a long and frustrating day and you can get to a point where you can say like, okay, that was crazy, but also I had a really good lunch. Tomorrow's going to be better. Friday is one day away. And, um, you know, like the Wizards won last night. Just little things to be thankful for. Um, I think for me, like when I can go to sleep with like some of the happy thoughts being some of the last things on my mind, that does a lot too. Yeah, I actually do the same. I, I just say I love myself to go to sleep and that's a, a nice loop. But yeah. back to back to the therapy piece, mm-hmm. um, is there anything that pops out as something where you went to the therapist and you couldn't believe that you had a realization that you couldn't believe happened? And if so, could you share? Yeah, sure. So this is actually the first time I'm sharing this one publicly ever because um, it like just happened. So I think I mentioned that I got expelled from uh, school in 2012. So it was a military academy. And, you know, they have very, very strict rules, a lot of regulations and stuff. And when you are a cadet and you get in trouble, like you, your rank changes. So it's pretty isolating because they can see like, oh, that guy got in trouble. I'm going to stay away from that guy. So I had a very traumatic last semester, um, winter 2012 semester that ended with me getting expelled and going back home. And I literally got back home and within two weeks saw all my um, my friends getting tagged in graduation pictures. Um, that, I mean, I'll be honest, it made me very bitter for a long time to the point that like, I was very much so not even open to being mentioned with like a lot of people who used to be friends, didn't want to stay in touch with like a lot of people 
uh, because of what had happened to me and because of my perception about how I thought people might have felt about me. So instead of like taking things like person by person and being like, oh, this person's still cool. They reached out to me like and, you know, we're talking about life. You know, it's been nine years. I was just like, oh, no, it's another West Point person. It's another person from this place um, where I had this traumatic experience. I'm going to just cut things off. Um, but I got to a point, it was literally last week where there was this um, this chat on Clubhouse. Um, you familiar with Clubhouse? Um, it's the, the new, uh, I guess, like chat forum app, whatever you call it. Um, and it was this this Clubhouse room with like West Point graduates. And I was like, you know what, let me just... Let me just pop in there and see, see what they're talking about. Um, and it was a good conversation. It was about um, uh, some different graduates who are um, chiefs of staff um, there for different companies. And one is chief of staff at Clubhouse. Um, but it was a good a good conversation. I realized that I still have like things in common with the folks who went to this school as well. Um, I just kind of felt like the need to defend or protect myself it's not there anymore. Like I, I am who I am. I'm happy with how I turned out. And um, I'm really glad I was able to let go of that. And a big part of that was like due to therapy and having somebody to kind of like talk through and, you know, ask like, so what do you, what are you still holding on to from this period? And um, well, who told you that? Like who, who actually told you these things that you're assuming, you know, like how do you know those things are, are real um, outside of your own head? So, you know, it, it took me a while and I had a lot of moments where I'm like, I don't know, but it must be true. And eventually it just kind of, it kind of clicked. It clicked that you were making up this whole story in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it becoming aware of the fact that you were, is that what made you able to release it? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, becoming aware of the fact that like, I didn't have anybody in real life coming up to me and saying what my brain told me people would be saying to me and it's like, okay, that could be true in certain circles, but it's not like you can assume that like a whole group of people is going to think the same way, you know? So. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to talk about a bunch of your tweets because I think your, your tweets are great and I want to get them out to more people, but I want to get your perspective on what these tweets mean. Okay. 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 Cool. So first one is, I don't know who needs to hear this, but being busy is not a metric for success. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Where did that come from? Whew. So that means, um, I think the biggest thing is that I think a lot of us, myself included, um, get caught up in trying to fill our days which with a bunch of things that are productive on paper, um, but aren't always tied to like actually moving forward with the goals that we have set, if we've even set them. Because sometimes like we have all these different tasks and it's like, okay, you're juggling all these different things, but what's what's the ultimate goal and how are you actually defining success outside of always being tired and always being busy? And uh, I mean, that came from me having a couple of periods where like I was doing, I was doing too much. I was saying yes to everything. Um, I was just trying to overwork myself to kind of replace uh to 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 replace the work that I could be doing to actually just like take a second and figure out like 
which of the 25 different things that I was trying to do actually mattered and, uh, you know, how I could actually like leverage my abilities more to be more impactful without working around the clock. You know, like I deserve to have a relaxing Saturday and like a mellowed out Sunday, you know? Um, so that's, that's where that came from. Yeah. On that point, it's tough, right? Because when you're just starting and you're young, you want to say yes to as many things as possible. Give yourself as many shots. At some point you need to say no to things. Yeah. If so, how do you find that balance? Yeah. And um, you said it really well, actually, like I'm, I'm 31. Now. I'm not sure how old you are. Um, and I, you know, I've been involved in, I guess we'll call it like a, a creative networking or, you know, just a creative type of lifestyle for coming up on 10 years now. So for me, it, it made sense to say yes to a lot more things when I was a lot less focused and could operate with a lot less sleep. You know, I was single for a long time. And the, my biggest concern was like paying my rent for my room in an apartment and taking care of myself. Right. Um, that has changed. I'm also more tired than I've ever been. Right. A number of different days. Um, I just have more responsibilities. Um, and like I have earned through experience and lots of failure and um, like very specific, consistent effort. Like I've earned the right to be able to create more high leverage situations for myself. So it's like, yeah, I'm sure I could like seek out and do like 25 podcasts per week. Um, or, you know, I could take some time Um I could like, you know, one, like just find and engage with the people who like I'm also learning from and I could like leverage those relationships eventually, um, you know, I can just continue to operate in a space where I'm attracting opportunities that are aligned with where I am now. And, um, you know, not somebody who's just like kind of desperate for any opportunity. And, you know, the same goes for, um, you know, client work, uh, you know, and everything across the board. Was there a specific point you realized, oh, snap, I'm, I'm, my hands are in too many buckets right now and mm -hmm. I can't take this anymore? I probably, because I'm, I'm stubborn, um, I've probably had like three or four different moments where I've been like, yo, I don't know why I have this many clients. I don't know why I reach, take this many phone calls. I don't know why, you know, even just like, taking random phone calls and things like that without like doing my diligence on them. Um, it oftentimes happens at night where I'm like, yo, I had one big goal for the day. I didn't do that, but I was on 35 zoom calls and I still don't even know what my day was, you know, like, and I, I'll still have, it's, it's nowhere near as extreme, but I'll still have moments now where it's like, okay, this could have been, a much more effective day, you know, not yeah. productive, but effective. And that's what matters, you know? 100%. Okay. So the next tweet is self-love isn't always this fluffy, soft, flowy way of living. Sometimes mm -hmm. self-love shows up as the voice in your head that says, now you got to goddamn, now you know goddamn well. Now you know goddamn well that you yep. should do in a billion phone calls a day. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's interesting um, to observe a lot of folks like kind of figuring out what self-love means to them. And I'm, yeah. you know, by no means going to define, I, I'm not going to define self-love for anybody else. But to me, 
I don't think that self-love is always like, it, it almost sounds like people are saying like self-love is just like doing whatever makes you feel good. So if you want to go out and, you know, spend 200 bucks at Morton Steakhouse, just do it. Like forget your budget, you know? Um, <laughs> so to me, it's like, I, I think self-love for me has to have a specific grounding in reality and like knowing what you want to be true and knowing what will make you happy in the long term and not just make you feel good right now. You know, I'm sure I'd feel great if I just went out um, and just drank for like two hours. Um, I would feel terrible tomorrow. I got things I got to do today. Um, and in that same way, like across the board, like self-love, I really believe is is rooted in like one, like understanding what your needs are, understanding what your wants are, um, understanding what needs to be true so you can like live the happy life. Like you got to like plan, you know, you can't just try to make everything what you want it to be right now. It's just not how life put up. Yeah. And it's, it's about doing the difficult things sometimes. And that's <laughs> what the part of the quote and part of the tweet where I was like, yep, that that's true from my experience at least. Yeah. So final, final tweet. The next time you're about to talk to yourself out of shooting your shot, remember that there are less qualified people with more confidence who are winning simply because they never stop shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one come from um, my perfectionist tendencies. Um, so I think about social media um, for a long time. I had like a lot of anxiety um, on social media because I wanted like, everything to be perfect and planned out and on topic and with the right voice and everything else. Um, but th- it's, there's so many different ways to put it. So I'm like kind of stumbling over my words. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing I had to realize is that I was hurting my ability to improve by spending so much time trying to be perfect with everything. Like I had to understand that, like, the planning is just one part of like doing the work. Like the release is also part of doing the work. So you got to be able to, you got to get real life feedback. And if you're like planning and trying to iterate and do all these things um, based on what you think is going to work, like you don't know what direction you're actually heading in. So I had to realize that, you know, like by me continuing to release things that were good, but I didn't know if they were perfect. I didn't know if I loved them. Like that was the feedback to help me get more in touch with the people that I was claiming I wanted to serve, you know, Um, but I was getting too scared to actually like put them out and see if things were going to do what I thought they would. So like choosing that like more consistent, like release and iteration uh, pattern has been huge for me. Do you think that perfectionism stems from the ego and stems from wanting everything because we're so scared because we've we built up this post or this image in our head mm-hmm. as the thing that's going to help propel us and we're scared to put it out there do you think it's ego-based i think that perfectionism absolutely can be ego-based um i think there are a lot of people who you know like you said they want everything to be perfect has to be the best thing ever has to be you know incredible like talk about one tweet my guy um i, I also think that Perfectionism can also stem from trauma, from people who had at a very early age, folks who said, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Why'd you get a B plus? 
um, you know, all those different things. Um, you know, and I think perfectionism can stem from uh, looking at other people, right? Like you, you log on social media, you know, I, I scroll my feed and I see the posts that get the most engagement. So I see the posts that have been perceived as being the best. So I see the Danny Miranda show. I see uh, Sports Center. I see the Gary V's and the biggest writers and everything else. But I'm not seeing as much of the people who are trying to figure things out, who like don't have the prepackaged audiences. So it's quite possible that I get on my feed and I have this bias towards seeing things that are successful because of the algorithms that quite literally dictate large swaths of what we experience. Um, and that was always true, but even more so now during quarantine, I've seen like, I've seen maybe like five of my friends, maybe 10 of my friends tops in passing over the past year and some change, you know? So like we rely on these feeds more than ever. And these feeds aren't people, they are optimized to give us what they think is the best content. So that's, that's real too. Yeah, that is so important. I'm so happy you brought that up. One thing that I've done on, on Twitter is sort by most recent and mm-hmm. instead of algorithmic, because I find that just to be a better for my brain mm-hmm. and Instagram doesn't let you do that. And it, it messes me up because of that. Um, but how you've spent 10 plus years on social media and lived here, how, how has living in the algorithm impacted you on the day to day? I mean, I'm gonna keep it a stack. I probably can't even tell you how it's impacted me entirely. Um, It's like, I I think that we all think we're more self-aware than we actually are. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I I will say this, there are some good points. I think that living in the algorithm um, and kind of being on social media in general has taught me how to write things that resonate with people. it's also taught me to seek out ways to write things that resonate with people or create things. So it's almost like whether you want to or not, you can start to like gauge the value of your work based on how it connects with people, how it generates a reaction from people. Um, And then like, even you can start to look at things and say like, I don't think this will resonate with people. And if you're not careful, like that can become, your metric, right? Um, That can become the way that you evaluate the quality of what you create. Um, And honestly, even like the the life you live, like I know a bunch of folks, myself included, who are like, part of the reason you might go somewhere or do something is like, oh, that's gonna be a fire picture. The feed gonna love that, you know? And I don't think it's always a bad thing per se. Like I don't see anything wrong with wanting to connect with people and engage with people. And if you're an entrepreneur um, wanting to like to connect with the community um, that you can eventually bring value to and get value from. Um, I think the problem is when you're not aware of what's happening. Um, and when that like starts to overrule what you actually care about, like what matters to you in the real world, you know, um, and it can even kind of like, shape and like build relationships that otherwise wouldn't be there. Um, and kind of this, um, you know, we'll, we'll call it clout chaser um, or this like 
algorithmically influenced um, kind of mindset that we're all in to a certain extent. Does it bother you, people who clout chase? Um, I don't think it bothers me because I get it. And I think that we're all in different ways. We're fighting to survive. And if we're not fighting to survive, we're fighting to thrive. And if we're thriving, we're fighting to maintain that and make sure our kids are going to thrive too. I think everybody is fighting uh, to get to that next rung of like stability and happiness. Um, so, I mean, I think, I, I think you have to be empathetic and to understand, like, I, I, I don't have a problem with them. Um, I also know that like, again, by nature of the algorithm, I'm going to see the people who are clout chasing more than the folks who are not, because it's going to work. Like to a certain extent, it's going to work, you know? Um, and, you know, me being somebody like I have been, I have managed artists. I have been, I would say an artist, you know, as far as like my writing, um, I have been a social media influencer. I've been a coach. So like I have been, you know, I've been 23 and now I'm 31. So I, I know how it feels to like, to get somewhere and to realize like, okay, I want that. And, you know, I, I don't think that many of us can say that the first two or three ways we tried to get somewhere have worked. <laughs> so it's almost like you got to look at somebody and say like, hey, okay, I hope you find what works for you. This is not working. Uh, you know, I, I hope you leave me alone personally. Um, but I don't, I don't hate you for it. You know, I don't, I, I don't get mad so much as just like try to keep my boundaries in place. And yeah. They, they find better for themselves. Yeah, makes sense. So one thing I want to talk to you about was your writing process mm-hmm. and and what exactly that looks like. Like, how do you, do you sit down at the table at a certain time? Do you have a specific routine? I'd love to dive deep into that. So I light exactly 16 candles. I um, walk <laughs> in five counterclockwise circles. And uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man, right now, so... <laughs> I mean, so I have moved. Um, we're planning a wedding and we are planning for our first child. Um, while running an agency, my wife is also in school. So <laughs> I, I, right now, my writing process, um, I will find either one or two different nights on the weekend, like Friday and Saturday night. Um, I was just talking to you actually in the middle of a writing break last night. And I will sit, I'll breathe, I might meditate for a few minutes. Um, I like to put on, I like soundtrack music. I like to kind of set the mood and give myself a bit of room to kind of relax and to almost to like differentiate the rest of my day from my writing time. And um, writing also serves as just general thinking time because, you know, I, I have a personal brand. I care about it. So I'm talking about things that I care about. So the writing time for me kind of becomes, you know, I'll, I'll look through the feeds of people who I can appreciate. Um, I might reread or read for the first time, uh, you know, parts of some books that I can appreciate or think that I'll appreciate. And then I'll start to just kind of like write what comes to mind. And some of those things end up being saved for you know, more long form stuff that I might get to eventually. And some of those things become part of um, the 35 tweets that I aspire 
to share um, every week. And I, I chose that like around last year, actually, because, um, you know, again, going back to like distractions, I had too many distractions at that point. And um, I think I've known for a long time that I think I can do a number of different things, but writing is my thing. Writing is the thing that if I if I can keep get better, getting better at writing, um, I'm not really worried about my trajectory. That is my that is the first thing that I think I really knew I was like really good at. Um, so for me, it's like okay, how can I get better at this basic skill that is going to propel me forward um, through this like super complex like social media career? You know, it's like if you one of the best in the world, you one of the best in the world. So. I don't think I'm there, but I aspire to keep getting there. Um, so I sit down um, and I write and I seek to, to, to write, you know, five tweets per day that I can schedule out. Um, so that way, when things are hectic and, you know, when I have to run errands while being on the phone, um, while rushing back to get on my next client call, I already got something up. Like it's, it's already been planned. Um, it's, it's sincere. It applies to what I truly believe, um, and it's it's all me, you know. Um, so I might I might look for inspiration, other people, but I always figure out like if I'm gonna draw inspiration from your tweet, um, I'm gonna figure out how I can add to the conversation and not just say what you've said, but in my own way, mm. trying to like distinguish uh, from those two trains of thoughts, um, and then from there, you know, I can kind of jump in and. Um, the good thing about pushing yourself to like conserve time to write with intentionality every week and to like edit yourself is you also get more comfortable speaking to a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like you kind of get a better feel for how you can like show up, you know, like, um, you know, yesterday we were all, not all of us, but a lot of us were unfortunately talking about like DMX's passing, right? Um, and my thought, like, during moments like that, as somebody who cares about hip-hop, as somebody who cares about um, hip-hop culture and Black culture, which are kind of inseparable, um, I, I felt like I wanted to, like, offer some perspective um, on, like, one, like, grieving being okay. Um, I wanted to remind people of just, you know, my take on, like, his legacy, because I saw a lot of people, like, you know, people lack empathy, you know, like DMX suffered from addiction, right? Um, I don't like seeing people be like, oh, he was a junk, like junkie or whatever else. I not a fan of that. Um, so I, I felt like it was important for me to be able to contribute to the conversation um in an empathetic way and um hopefully like shape the conversation and like remind some folks like of things that I felt were like important that would like resonate with people. Um, and those things can oftentimes like spark a lot more conversations. Um, but that doesn't happen if I don't have the confidence to like show up and take a minute to like write things out um, because I've been doing that like every week, you know? Yeah. On DMX specifically, what did you contribute to the conversation that was that you didn't see? Um, I try to remind people, I see a lot of folks and I, I get, I get why they say this or all like, oh, you know, like you only care about people when they die. Um, well, one, that's not true. Two, it's, it's, it's the conversation. Like it, 
it happened, but I, I really wanted to just remind people that like, there's no point where nobody has the right to question why anybody feels what they feel. Now, how you respond um, with regard to what you feel, that's a different story, you know? Um, but like feelings are feelings, you know, I don't have to explain why I feel what I feel. Um, so I really wanted to affirm people um, with regard to that. Um, I saw a, a great uh, clip from a show called Drink Champs um, where he was just like, it was literally like a few months back and he was like, yo, if I were to go tomorrow, and you know how he talks and everything. If I were to go tomorrow, um, the last thing I remember is that I had a good life. And it's just like, what is more reassuring um, to people who are mourning someone's death than like being able to hear like their acceptance of the life they've lived, you know? Um, so like that felt like a comforting thing to share. And I wanted to kind of lift that up also um, in a tasteful way. So that's what I was trying to contribute. Yeah. And that was, that's so incredible that there's so much thought that went into it. And, and I was DMing you back and forth about how viral it went because it really spoke to something mm-hmm. so real. From the practical perspective, how did you take that tweet um, and make it a video and all that stuff? How did you go about doing that? Oh, man. Somebody else um, shared it. Um, I liked the clip. And um, if you just hold, the video, um, you can tweet video and I wanted to uplift the quote. So I, I gave people the quote, um, that was kind of probably what helped them to understand what the clip was about. Um, and then I just like, I also mentioned that it was this year. Um, so mm-hmm. gave some more context. And then from there, just posted the video, kept it pretty simple. Um, realized, cause you know, I was kind of having my own emotional experience, uh, realized it'd be important to also reference like, you know, shout out drink champs. And I, I linked the rest of the episode as well. Mm. Uh, so on the back end, kind of thinking through like one, how to like pay homage and like give proper credit um, and also give people a chance. Like if you like this clip, here's the whole hour long interview that I think anybody who is like uh, sad about losing him would also enjoy watching. Mm. How has being bilingual helped you as a writer? Um, probably a lot more when I was still, you know, all the way up in my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I think, if anything, I think being bilingual, um, I think it just gave me the courage to understand what it means to get better and more confident at using a language and like I haven't I haven't been up on Spanish in a long time I I can still understand it but I'm not anywhere close to what I have been but in high school I mean really from elementary all the way through the second year of my undergraduate experience I was studying a different language like you arguably don't really study English most of us don't study English um probably past elementary school and I wouldn't call much of what you do when you're seven studying. You're just a kid in the classroom. Um, so I had a, a fairly regimented, um, I, I, I had a fairly regimented process for studying a language um, for 14 years. So I would actually think that as I think through this, that it, it's part of what made me even think to like look at 
what it means to continue to get better and more fluent uh, with English. Like, yeah, I speak English, of course, but like, can I master it? Like, can I get all the way there? Yeah. And on top of your, um, one of your website pages, it says a Jay-Z quote, which is, I'm not bitter. I'm a writer for myself and others, mm-hmm. or I'm not a biter. Sorry. Um, but how that's crazy because Jay-Z mastered the English language and, mm-hmm. and has gone to a level. And do you, like we were talking about before with Big Sean, do you see yourself as a writer going to levels like that? I mean, I, I can aspire. Um, yeah. But as far as writing in hip hop, Jay Z is like top of the top. There's like a few who are arguably maybe adjacent, but he is uh, undisputably, undisputedly one of the greatest. So, um, I, you know, I, I hope to to get as good as him. Um, I really appreciate. Like, I think about the level of talent and practice required to like not write down, but just like to remember and to rap his verses. Cause he doesn't write his verses out. He just like memorizes them or just like freestyles them and kind of thinks through them and just goes in there and delivers. So it's like, you know, you think about how many hours of practice it took um, in less than ideal circumstances to not just get good, not just make hits, but to master something, you know? So you got the charts, and you have enough like lyricism to be able to, um, you know, have like these academics, um, these renowned um, academics with uh, doctoral pedigrees want to come back and break down lyrics in your rap song. You know, that's yeah. that's special. So, and it's crazy because he was getting rejected mm-hmm. from the time he was just starting out to the time is 27 28 i don't know exactly when he popped but it's um it's pretty incredible that so many people said no to such great talent for so long yeah like he was closer to 30 um than to 20 um when reasonable doubt dropped and he didn't even really like reasonable doubt is loved now more than it was back then it wasn't the biggest thing in the world you know so Definitely a testament to, you know, I, I think about like a slow cooker versus a microwave meal, you know, like letting things simmer, chopping up all the ingredients, you know, giving it a lot more time um, before you come back and open the pot up. Hell yeah. So this has been an incredible conversation, my man. I've sure. enjoyed it tremendously. Um, thank you so much. And where can people find more from you? Yeah, thank you so much for creating just such a, a really valuable and just like fun conversation. Um, you can find me, I am M-I-C-H-E-L-L-C-C-L-A-R-K. So Mikel C. Clark, um, pretty much on every social media platform. I have the same handle. Um, I'm very boring in that way. Uh, and um, you know, then Mikel C. Clark at gmail.com. So easy to find. And we'll link up all those in the show notes. Thank you, Mikel. Really appreciate it. Danny, I appreciate you, man. Take care. Beautiful people. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mikel Clark. If you did and you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And 
just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. It means the world to me, and I'm extremely, extremely grateful for you. That's all from me, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.